our body honestly goes into survival mode um, and you can be working out six, seven days a week and pushing yourself so hard. And when you're restricting calories and still not seeing the progress that you want, still not seeing that fat loss, it's because you've deprived yourself for so long. Hey guys, it's Corey from Redefining Strength. Welcome to the Fitness Hacks podcast. And today we're gonna talk about why you might be struggling to lose fat and the mistakes that you're making and how to overcome them. So in this episode, you'll learn why nothing has ever worked for you before and what you can do to change that. Five dieting mistakes, thanks to my dietitian sharing some amazing tips. I'll also go over five workout mistakes I see people often making and how to avoid them. And then I'm gonna share the biggest mistake I feel I was making that was holding me back from maintaining my results long-term and why I felt like I was constantly on this yo-yo dieting cycle. Before I dive into everything, I do just wanna say a big thank you to everyone who has left a review. It helps me keep the podcast sponsorship free. So if you don't mind going and leaving a review, that would be freaking fabulous and I would appreciate it greatly. Now let's jump into everything. Nothing has ever worked for you before. No plan, no program, everything has failed. You say, nothing works for me. Most of us have felt this way about something or a lot of programs in the past. I know I had the struggle for a really long time. I thought I just liked food too much to get lean. I thought it just wasn't possible for me. I thought I just carried too much fat around my middle and there's no way I would ever see abs and get the results that I wanted. What I realized was that I was kind of lying to myself, but more importantly, I wasn't assessing who and what I was. I was a searching for a perfect plan, a perfect program, something that I could implement that would be the thing. And there simply is no perfect plan out there. And in our quest to find one, we keep ourselves stuck. And often we keep ourselves repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. And it all boils down to the fact that we haven't assessed why things haven't worked for us in the past. We haven't assessed who and what we are. So nothing has ever worked for us because we aren't fully self-aware. And that sounds weird to say because yes, it does boil down to the correct macro ratios, the correct workouts, you know, good scheduling, all that stuff. Systems have to work together, but all of those systems have to be based on meeting us where we're at currently. They have to be based on our lifestyle balance. They have to be based on what we can do consistently. So we have to own our priorities and recognize who and what we are if we don't want to just fall prey to all the common excuses, which is, I don't have enough time, life is too crazy, it's too stressful, the plan was bad, the macro ratios weren't right, right? We blame all these different things when really there is no perfect thing and a lot of times people see really fabulous results without having a perfect anything just because they can be consistent with it because they're making those 1% changes off of where they are currently. So you wanna always seek to learn and assess why something worked for you, maybe why it didn't work for you, and what you can do to move forward. Every failure, every program we do is a learning experience if we set our expectations that way. So often we just deem a program or plan a victory or a failure based on whether or not we got to the ultimate aesthetic goal or the ultimate performance goal that we wanted. But along the way, we learn so much if we choose to set the expectation as learning from that program. So everything you've done prior, if you're going to be investing in a new program or moving forward with something, first assess all those previous things that you did and learn as much as you can from them because that will help you avoid making the same mistakes. So often we go into a diet and we think, you know, hey, I did keto, it didn't work for me, therefore I need to make sure I just include carbs. But then we end up restricting something else and we fall off that other plan because of the restriction. We didn't assess the fact that with the keto diet, it wasn't so much that we cut out carbs, it was that we made something off limits. If we really dove into why that thing didn't work for us, why it didn't meet us where we were at, we might've realized, I can't have something that tells me I can't have a food because the second I can't have it, I want it all the more. 
So I wanted to help you see everything as an experiment, help you really manage those expectations, learn from everything you do. So I thought of some questions that I not only ask myself, but I also have clients ask all the time when they're starting something new. So with a previous you know, program plan, whatever, think what habits felt impossible to maintain with it. Was there something specific that you just felt was unsustainable? Was this because it was just different than what you were doing prior? Or is it really not realistic for your lifestyle? And if it's not realistic for your lifestyle right now, if you're not in pain enough to want to make that change and embrace it, how can you break it down to better meet yourself where you're at? Like, why did it feel so hard? Were you cutting out things you love, trying to do too much at once? Did your schedule not really allow for it? The more you can really dive into why something didn't work or why it felt unsustainable and even break down maybe it was the mindsets against making a change in general, the more you can break down things to meet yourself where you're at. And then think about what things you liked even from previous plans. So often we just say this was a failure. It didn't work for me, but we didn't assess even what was enjoyable about it or what worked for us. Maybe the diet portion of something you did didn't work for you, but you really enjoyed the workout schedule or you know you only have 15 minutes and you liked when there were 15 minute days. Maybe you realize that that's perfect for you. So assess what did you actually enjoy with those things? And then even what you enjoy in your life when you're not trying to pursue a goal so that you can make sure that's balanced in when you are starting a new plan. When we think about our priorities, our non-negotiables, we often then work around them and we find something sustainable because we're not trying to cut out things that really matter to us or fight against those things. Because if we don't own our priorities, they become our excuses. If we don't own that our job is really important, that we have a family life we have to work around, we're not gonna find ways to meal prep or train that actually fit our schedule long-term and we're not gonna be successful because it is about finding something we can do consistently. So think about why all these things did or did not work for you. So assessing both the good and the bad. And then think about your lifestyle right now, okay? Even when we go back to something that worked in the past, a lot of times as our lifestyle has changed, we'll be like, well, this doesn't work for me anymore. Why doesn't it work for me anymore? It worked for me in the past. And it's because we're not meeting ourselves where we're at. Whether it's coming back from injury, whether or not it's hormonal changes, whether or not it's lifestyle changes, having a family when we didn't have a family prior when we did some of our different you know, performance goals or aesthetic goals, whatever else it was, our lifestyle evolves not only over the years, but over the year itself. Winter might look very different from summer for you and the schedules that you might have to maintain because kids are in and out of schools or even you're just more active. But think about what your lifestyle is currently to build off of that. 1% changes from where you are right now really add up. It's not sexy. It's not the big dramatic fad diet 90 day transformation results that we see, but it's something that actually builds results over the years and allows us to sustain, sustain those results long-term. So think about what's a 1% improvement you can build on. Like what's a, a way to slowly push your comfort zone instead of just ripping your comfort zone to shreds and stepping so far outside of it, you can't maintain it. Think about your current lifestyle, meet yourself where you're at. And then think about how you'll handle the changes truly. So often we go into a program and we think, oh, well, this is just gonna be easy. It's gonna be perfect. My friend saw amazing results. It's gonna work for me. And then maybe it even does yield some really fast results, but we're not preparing ourselves for the challenges that are going to arise. Life is gonna do its best to get in the way. There is going to be a plateau where results slow, no matter how hard we're working and even when we're being really consistent with the habits and doing everything, so to speak, right. Things are gonna come up. There will be, will be challenges along the way. And we have to own those ahead of time. The more we can even look back at reasons why other programs have failed, the challenges that we encountered that made us fall off in the past, the more we can plan and prepare for them. Planning for the holidays when you're trying to track macros is really key, even if it's been easier prior. Maybe January to March, 
perfect time of year for you. You don't have any trips planned. You're more motivated to work towards your goals. All of a sudden summer hits and it's a different schedule. Plan for that challenge. The more we own the challenges, the more we oversell the negative even to ourselves, the better prepared we're going to be and we'll be able to find ways even when those challenges do arise. So if you've been thinking nothing has ever worked for you in the past, really take a step back and break down all those different learning experiences that you've had and ask yourself why habits didn't work, why certain things were enjoyable, how you can better meet yourself where you're at right now, and then even assess what the challenges were that you faced and what challenges you'll face in the future to oversell the negative and be really prepared for it. Because something will work if you meet yourself where you're at. You just have to be ready for all the struggles that are gonna come your way. I'm excited to get to share five dieting mistakes and how to overcome them shared by my incredibly magical nutritional team led by the amazing Michelle. There's some great tips really breaking down different changes that you can make. Just make sure to focus on one to implement today over getting overwhelmed by all the different options out there. So let's dive right into the tips they're going to share. Welcome, welcome guys. I am super excited to have our dietitians on board to discuss the five mistakes we often see people making when it comes to our fat loss results. We have the fabulous Brooke, Megan, Julia, and Michelle to give us some great tips today. So I'm gonna let them jump right into the mistakes that they often see clients making. So Brooke, why don't you take it away? What do you often see people doing that holds them back from seeing the fat loss they want? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple different things. I'm really excited to be here, first of all, and also just to jump in and really discuss these things because it's something that I see pretty much every single one of my clients truly struggling with. Um, so a couple, two big important ones that I really see clients struggling with. One is going really low fat in their diet. So I have a lot of clients come in, hey, my goal is to lose fat and their fat is really low. And it kind of makes sense. Like if you say it out loud, in order to lose fat, you need to eat less fat in your diet. But in reality, it's the polar opposite um, of truly what you need to do to lose fat. So there's a couple different reasons uh, and theories behind that and for that. One of the first ones is that fat is really important for healthy hormone production, and it can help stimulate muscle growth. So nine times out of 10, you don't just want to lose fat, right? You want to also gain muscle or at least hopefully maintain your muscle mass that you have. So by consuming adequate, if not high amounts of fat in your diet, it can help produce those healthy hormones that we want. Um, and then again, also really stimulate that muscle growth. Second reason that fats can really help us to lose fat um, and body fat is because fat, as you know, fat's really satiating. Um, it really can help our taste buds feel satisfied at the end of the day. Um, but the right kind of fats is what I really want to focus on. So more flavorful food obviously is more satisfying for us. Um, and higher amounts of fat, like I just talked about, really helps us lose weight. Um, and we want to also incorporate um, the foods that we love and fat is a part of that. Um, and it can't, it doesn't just have to be um, your healthy fats like you hear, like your omega-3s, your salmon, your olive oil, your nuts and seeds. And while those are super, super helpful, um, also incorporating foods that you love. Um, and sometimes that may be higher in fat can be really important. And we'll go into that a little bit more later, um, focusing on the foods that you love and how that's important for fat loss as well. 
lastly, I think one of the biggest things that we want to focus on um, with consuming moderate to higher amounts of fat in our diet um, and why that's so important for fat loss specifically is because that fats actually help us metabolize certain vitamins. So certain vitamins like vitamin A, D, E, and K, we actually need fat in our diet to help our body absorb those vitamins. So for example, um, like mushrooms are super high in vitamin D. So let's say you threw mushrooms in an omelet for breakfast. Eggs are higher in fat and mushrooms have vitamin D and you need that fat side of things to help your body absorb the vitamin D. So pairing eggs with mushrooms would be a really great example of how you need to consume fats with um, something that is high in vitamin A, D, E, and K, like I said. So having a diet that is too low in fats can really, really prohibit you from your fat loss goals. Um, So that would be one thing that would be super important um, so far. And then the second thing I really wanted to touch on would be restricting calories for far too long. So I think a lot of people come in, I see a lot of clients come in and restricting calories is just society's way kind of of saying that this is how you lose weight. This is how you lose fat. And so I often see clients come in eating way under what they should be eating um, and really depriving themselves and not even knowing it. Um, They have no idea kind of what their calorie range should be. Um, But restricting those calories is really going to prohibit our fat loss or your fat loss journey. So a couple reasons for that um, as well. The, the goal here is to decrease fat mass, right? And increase lean muscle mass, just like I talked about. And by restricting calories for way too long, our lean muscle mass is really not getting what it needs to, um, to thrive, honestly. And it starts to break down because we're not fueling our muscles properly. So our muscles, again, start to break down. And when we lose lean muscle mass, um, we really start to slow down our metabolism, actually, um, which is totally not what you want when you're trying to lose fat. And obviously, you do not want your metabolism to slow down. So, I mean, our body requires energy for everything, whether you're walking, lifting, thinking, you're just breathing, you're a being, you need energy. So when we deprive ourselves so long of that fuel that we need of that food, um, our body honestly goes into survival mode. Um, and you can be working out six, seven days a week and pushing yourself so hard. And when you're restricting calories and still not seeing the progress that you want, still not seeing that fat loss, it's because you've deprived yourself for so long. So I really would recommend, um, either increasing calories just by a hundred to start. I know it seems super scary, but just starting by 100 calories and increasing over time so that you're not depriving your body of what it needs, I think it's going to be super, super helpful in your fat loss journey. You touched on like two really key points and not to to make my Corey aside or my Corey jokes, but when it goes back to including fat in our diet, I think so often we think, oh, I'm trying to lose weight. My food can't taste good when really we might 
be needing to include some butter on our vegetables, not only to get more out of the nutrients from the vegetables, but to make things taste good so it can be sustainable and actually allow us to get consistent enough to see results build. Not to mention, I think a lot of people come in frustrated to the program, to you know, dieting in general, thinking I'm eating so little and I'm not losing weight. And they don't realize that in under eating, they've actually sabotaged their fat loss results. So by eating more, they might promote a healthier metabolic rate and get things really going. So I think those are two very essential points uh, and two big mindset shifts because it does go against what dieting culture has always sort of taught us. And then now transitioning a little bit into something that's my favorite topic and something I'm always pushing. Megan, I know you were going to touch on something that most people don't want to do because it's not the tastiest, but it is so key. What's another reason why we're not seeing fat loss results? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this would be not getting enough protein in our diet. And I was just going to use that as an example. It's easy for us to cut out the protein first because it's usually not the most, the thing that we crave the most, right? We're not like, oh, I would just love another bite of chicken. And so it's the first to go, I find, um, if we're not paying attention to our calories and our macros. But the three main things that I wanted to touch on in regards to protein is number one, it's for, it's essential that we get enough protein for maintaining our muscle. So we want to get the right fuel. We want to repair and grow our muscle. And of course, hopefully everyone is trying to gain or maintain that muscle because that is what is going to help us with that fat burning fire that we want. So more muscle, more fat burning, but we don't want to chintz out on the protein or we won't be getting the benefits of all that hard work that we're putting in at the gym. So enough protein for the muscles um, to help fat burning inevitably. The the second one is the satiety factor for sure. So it's definitely the most satiating of the three macronutrients. Um, it That is going to go a long way. It's going to help us to um, prevent snacking, prevent cravings, help blood sugar balance. So post high protein meal, we actually are seeing a decrease in ghrelin, that hormone, um, hunger hormone. So it's not that we just think, oh, I feel fuller, but it's actually going on in the body, right? So it's a sign telling us that those are probably things to bring in more if you are finding you're that that person who likes to snack or graze or you feel like you eat a meal um, and then in an hour you're getting really hungry. It's so important to look at the, the protein that you're bringing into those meals and how you're spreading it out throughout the day. Um, and then the third one was the thermic effect of food, also called diet-induced thermogenesis. So Protein by far is the highest of the three macronutrients, um, and that that's going to go a long way as well. So that is the caloric expenditure post meal that your body is burning to digest that food, to utilize those nutrients, to be able to send them to where they need to go to do their thing. It's much higher post protein meals. So you know, burning more calories after a meal, that's pretty awesome. (laughs) So we want to be able to get more protein to be able to do that, help us boost our metabolism, um, and burn more calories overall. Protein is also something I think so often people think, well, I'm not training as intensely, or I'm not a bodybuilder. And especially women will think, oh, well, that's, you know, going to make me bulky, but it's not at all the case. And especially as we get older, it becomes increasingly important. Yeah, it's probably the the first thing that clients will say to me within the, you know, maybe the first week is I feel more balanced in my energy. 
my cravings have gone down and um, the hunger, the satiation is, is just like we're satisfied, right? And that's generally just from bumping up protein, even if we didn't do anything else. Awesome. And then next tip that I want you to dive into, Julia, is talking about food restriction. So people often tell me, you know, tracking is restrictive, but it's not just tracking that can be restrictive. We can be restrictive no matter what. And this can lead to us sabotaging our own fat loss results. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, of course. So this kind of ties back into what Brooke said with the restriction where, you know, we think that maybe it's good for us. We need to restrict in order to see those goals see those goals and see what we want to have happen, happen. Um, but oftentimes this over restriction and having fear foods can actually cause more harm. And so often I think that we restrict because we think that we lack control around certain foods. So many times I hear clients say, you know, I just can't have this in a house. I don't trust myself with this. Um, but then it's like, well, what happens when you're out, right? It's not realistic. And the common denominator is always going to be you and how you are responding to your environment. Um, and, you know, in 99% of these situations, I don't think it's about a lack of control. I think it's instead that we're trying to control too much and over restrict too much, which eventually leads us to spiral out of control the first opportunity that we get. Um, you know, it's that idea of, when we tell ourselves that something is off limits, we're subconsciously going to want to crave it and want it even more. So rather, if we were to just allow ourselves to have it in small quantities here and there, um, as a part of a balanced diet, you won't be constantly thinking about your fear foods or these foods that you label as bad um, and craving them. You know, I think a lot of times we see these periods of over restriction followed by a period of overeating or binging. Uh, which is surrounded by so much guilt and shame that you then go back and over-restrict even more. Um, and it just turns into this vicious repeating cycle that you feel like you can't get out of. And I think the big reason for that is that we tell ourselves, you know, since we're not allowed to have this food every day, we might as well go all in right now because we're not going to let it happen again for a while. Rather, if I was just to tell myself, you know, I can wake up tomorrow morning and have chocolate chips if I want for breakfast. Um, it takes away that intensity and the weight of the moment. So you don't feel so pressured to go all in because you know that you're allowed to have it again. Um, and I also do want to point out, you know, that these so often called fear foods or restricted foods are gener generally higher in uh, sugar. You know, they're more processed things like cookies, ice cream, brownies, chips. So ideally, you know, you would need to eat a lot of them to feel full, right? Like you wouldn't need to eat 10 cookies to feel full or half a bag of chips because they lack protein, fat, and fiber, which we know from earlier that this is these are all important factors for satiety. Um, so, you know, I think this comes down to two big things where it's like one, knowing when you can include these foods, meaning probably not when you're starving and you need to prioritize a well-balanced meal, um, and also going off of that, don't be afraid to make it more balanced when you do include these foods. So like an example of this, you know, if you have granola, if you just sit there and try to eat the whole bag of granola, that's, you know, you're going to eat the whole bag. Rather, if you pair it with a protein source, like a Greek yogurt, and then portion out the granola, you're allowed to include it, but you're also going to feel really satiated from that protein from the yogurt. There's so many key points there. I think it's you know, great that we make foods just something we can have instead of 
creating the guilt around it, right? There is that clean eating pressure and that pressure alone makes us want something more. I mean, I even know that like part of how I like to approach things is consider our non-negotiables. What are things that you want to include that are important to you, even if they're not as healthy as other things, right? It can be part of our lifestyle balance. But by allowing yourself to even have those non-negotiable things, all of a sudden they often become a lot more negotiable. Like for me, I'm like, I have to have dessert. But over the years, the more I have never felt restricted in terms of having that, there are weeks that I don't have it anymore and I don't feel bad about it because it's not something I ever feel pressure to cut out. So it's just even that mindset shift really behind everything that really helps. Exactly. Just like what you said, it's that idea of telling yourself that I'm allowed to have this whenever I want to work it into my diet. So I don't feel pressured to overeat it right now or to have it every moment that I can. And in terms of striking your balance, is there any recommendations you have for losing weight and working in these foods if you do find there are potentially times that you're not as balanced with things? Because I know there are certain foods that, yes, I can technically control, but I am very much less inclined to want to be portion controlled with them. So how can you find that balance? Yeah, I think the biggest key point here is kind of going back to what I touched on earlier is just trying to make it more balanced, right? We know that these foods aren't super satiating. So if I'm going to have a brownie, instead of just sitting there with the whole pan of brownies, maybe I'm going to portion one out and then I'm going to pair it with a hard boiled egg on the side or some fruit for some fiber um, and just making it a little bit more of a well-rounded snack. Because in all reality, like I can't expect to have the brownie and really feel full or satiated. So Rather than thinking, you know, I need to cut out the brownie, I can't have anything. It's kind of flipping the script and thinking, what can I add in to make it more balanced versus what can I take out of my diet? And that, again, is that huge mindset piece where you're focusing on adding versus subtracting and restricting. I don't know about the brownie and hard-boiled egg snack personally, but I love the idea of adding in something else too. Although having the hard-boiled egg after the brownie, you might not want another brownie after that, or you might, depending on how much you like eggs. But that fact aside... In terms of another tip, if you are really looking for weight loss, quality of food, quantity of food, how do we find that balance to really feel full? Um, So that would kind of just be also focusing on the quality of our foods as well, right? So we know that with um, calorie goals and macro goals, obviously being in a caloric deficit allows us to lose weight and Counting macros allows us to understand where those calories are coming from and how they will affect our progress. Um, You know, so for example, if your goal is weight loss, we know that we want to keep protein high, like Megan said, as this will help us maintain lean muscle mass, increase our metabolic rate, um, help us feel full, blood sugar control, all of that. Um, But if we're just solely focusing on calories or macros alone and just neglecting diet quality overall, Um, such as, you know, basic things like eating whole foods, having balanced meals um, with protein, fat and fiber, including vegetables, you're most likely not going to see the results that you are expecting, right? So if you're someone who's relying on like three, four, or even five protein supplements each day to get to that goal, you're missing out on all the additional benefits of whole food sources, um, which are packed with like antioxidants, micronutrients, which also play a crucial role in metabolism, gut health, hormones, and all of that, which we know can affect uh, weight management. So just going back to what you said, you know, finding a way to make it balanced and still include those foods, but also prioritizing our diet quality where we can and knowing that, you know, every day isn't going to be, we're not going to 
going to be able to include um, these really delicious foods, but we can still find that balance in between where here's a food that I really like, and it helps me also meet my goals. Um, And then we're going to have those foods that we also really like and don't always work the best for our foods. And we know that we can still have them, maybe just not every day. I love that finding our personal balance so that we're getting the micronutrients we need so that our body functions optimally so that we can even enjoy the foods that aren't so healthy at points and have that lifestyle balance. But as we all know, even when it comes to our diet, everything's so connected, right? It's not just the foods we're putting in our mouth, but the impact they have on our recovery. But then on the flip side, our sleep, our stress, all those different things play into what we end up wanting to consume. Megan, can you talk a little bit about like stress and the impact that has on our nutrition and even the impact our nutrition has on our stress and how we can manage that to get the best results? I think this is um, beyond important, this topic. And I know that a lot of people, we talk about it all the time. We say it all the time that we need to lower our stress and, you know, stress can prevent us from reaching our goals. But I think that we don't always know what exactly is happening. How is it affecting us? And it's important to know that even if you don't feel stressed out or you're not like that anxious, you know, like pull your hair out kind of person, that doesn't mean that your body isn't feeling stressed because at the end of the day, it's how your nervous system is responding to your environment and your thoughts um, and maybe your foods. That is what's determining if your body is stressed out or not. And so when we are in that stressed out space, we call it a fight or flight And in this space, we don't want to lose weight. So your body doesn't want you to let go of necessary nutrients that's vital for survival. So fat being one of those, that's key. It's not going to let you drop it if you are stressed out because that's not good for your survival, right? So we're going to keep in that um, burning sugar zone the best that we can. And we won't tap into our our fat stores if we're stressed out. So, and I... um, I think that, you know, finding something that is, you really got to know what's key for you because there's a lot of stress protocols that just might not make sense for you. So understanding what really does allow you to tap into that um, rest, repair, uh, chill out mode, maybe that's going for a walk in nature, maybe that's reading a book, but kind of paying attention to your body and understanding what that is for you and allowing yourself to bring that in not when you feel stressed, but on a regular basis. So your nervous system can always be kind of calmed and soothed. Um, And so we can go back to being able to digest and repair and burn fat. It's being proactive, not reactive. And recognizing that the stress we feel, whether conscious or subconscious, will impact the food choices that we make, not to mention the quality of our fuel, going back to what Julia said, can impact how our body even handles the stress response and the recovery. So it's so interconnected and we have to recognize the impact that stress has on how we're going to fuel, but then also the stress that focusing on our fueling can have on our other recovery systems, so to speak. Totally. Yes. We're out, we're usually in sugar craving mode in stressful times because we're burning sugar, we're craving sugar, and we want that, that quick energy and it just kind of goes in circles. Um, so yes, it has a huge impact on our craving for sure, as does our, our lack of sleep. I find it's always sleep and stress are like this. So Both are so important. As is actually one last thing that I want Michelle to touch on, water. Now, We all think I need to drink more water. Most of us, well, 
myself included, or maybe just me, don't get enough water or struggle to get enough water. Can you talk a little bit, Michelle, about the importance of water and why it's so key to our fat loss results? One of my very first go-tos is what's your water intake? Because it's something that is so simple. We all know we should be doing it, but rarely do we actually pay attention to what our intake is. So it's cheap. It's easy. It's something that we can increase without too much of a, a detriment to ourselves as far as our time, our mental fatigue, as and that goes. But one of the big things is, is as we age, our thirst cues get confused with our hunger cues. So one right away, if you find yourself always hungry, you may actually need to be drinking a little bit more. But the big concern I have with clients is if they are under hydrated, a little bit dehydrated consistently, they are actually impeding the process of lipolysis, which is fat burning. And this really comes down to, to actually burn fat. You quite literally need water. Water is required to burn fat. You have to have the very first step of lipolysis, which is hydrolysis. So the water is going to come in. It's going to interact with those triglycerides, those fat cells, and it's going to break it up into the glycerol and fatty acids so that your body can actually utilize it and kind of burn it and get it. You know, we all want to, we all want to burn fat. We all want to lose the fat. Water is one, one way that we can make sure that we're actually doing that. And I often find, especially with women in particular who are in the menopause or post-menopause stage, we naturally don't retain moisture as well because estrogen is what is in our tissues and our cells that actually help us retain that moisture. So when we have gone through menopause or in menopause, we don't have that anymore. So we tend to be a little bit more dehydrated. I recently had a client that she's like, you know, I haven't had any major symptoms of menopause. Don't see the weight gain. Don't see hot flashes, but I am dry. My eyeballs are dry. I'm using drops to, to try and hydrate my eyes. Everything is dry and I can't seem to drink enough water. And this is one of the areas that we do just want to pay attention to because it's going to not only help us burn that fat, but of course we all feel better when we're not dehydrated. It's just one of those natural things and really simple ways. If you are someone that does struggle with your water intake, flavor it, make it part of your daily habit and find a trigger that you already do. So when I, when I say make it part of a, a habit and find a trigger, we all do something consistently every day. So find something, whether that's brushing your teeth, whether that is, um, you know, every morning you sit down and you check your social media, that's going to be when you sip on a glass of water or have a water bottle ready available so that you can kind of hydrate during that time. And I often find too, that clients don't actually know how to tell if they're hydrated or not. And we all know to look at the urine color, but I have clients that are like, oh, it's this color of yellow you know, kind of the bright yellow. And I'm like, okay, well, we don't want bright yellow. Or I'll, I'll be like, I peed clear. Like I'm super hydrated. I don't want them clear either. We really want that sweet spot, which is going to be that light lemonade color to really show that we are properly hydrated, but not overly hydrated. Cause it, it is a little bit of a balancing act. And most clients are going to do better just by increasing by a glass or two, especially as we are upping our protein intake. I love that. The idea of connecting it to another habit is so key, especially for someone like me who is bad about drinking water. In terms of how much, that question often comes up. How can someone start to get an idea other than looking at their pee at how much they should be consuming based on trying to stay hydrated with even increasing protein? 
So, you know, the recommendation is typically 50% of body weight in ounces. I tend to find that my clients actually do better with a little bit above that. So I typically will recommend clients to be hitting 70% of their body weight in ounces. And this usually comes down to the fact that most of the clients that I'm seeing are trying to lose fat. So they're already trying to do more. They're working out more. They're doing things that are going to dehydrate them naturally. And on top of that, they are asking their body to do a little extra work. So we are wanting them to get a little bit extra hydration. And of course, like I said, the rule, basic rule of thumb is always going to be that light lemonade urine color. However, if you are curious about where that level potentially is going to be for you, you're going to want to calculate it and do that 70% of your body weight in ounces. Awesome. And I have to admit, I'm going to touch on workout tips later on in this podcast, but I did see the note and I don't know which one of you is guilty of this saying, don't become an athletic couch potato. And I love the phrasing of this. So whoever said that I'm stealing that, but can you talk a little bit about not being an athletic couch potato? Yes. So are you taking credit for that, Michelle? I am going to take credit for that one, but I, I can't, I'll take credit for putting it down in the notes, but I won't take credit for making the phrase. I feel like it was one of my professors or a coach that actually told me that um, I got it from somewhere. But um, what I mean by this is whenever we are training, I don't care what you're training for. I don't even care if you're just trying to lose weight and you're working out again. You are an athlete. You're getting in there. You're looking for results. You are putting your body through it. What I find though is, and we're all, I've seen collegiate athletes guilty of this. I've seen people trying to lose weight guilty of this. We do that workout. We hit it hard and we go home and we sit. And we're already in a society where we tend to sit more than we do anything else, right? If you work, if you're, a lot of us have desk jobs, you can be at your computer desk, you know, eight, nine hours a day. If you're only awake 12, 14 hours a day, you've been sitting and inactive in a, in a more vegetative vegetative state for a long period of time. And there's a couple issues with this. One is we know that when we work out, like people will be like, Hey, did you get your workout in? And they're like, yeah, I did pat themselves on the back, move on. But we actually know that your calories you burn during your workout is actually very minimum compared to the calories that you burn throughout the day for your non-exercise activity. So Sitting at a desk and not having those moments where we're getting up and moving can be hindering you just purely by that you're not burning as many calories throughout the day. Some other concerns are actually that when we sit, we also um, aren't helping our body with the blood circulation. Again, this kind of comes back to the water intake too. You have, you have to have blood flow. You have to have that water actually reaching the areas to be able to break down these fats. So making sure that you are just increasing your movement throughout the day is going to be a way to one, not only improve your calorie burn, but also improve that fat loss. So a big thing that I see is, you know, people are like, but what can I do? I'm at my desk. You have to, again, whether it is, okay, it's lunchtime, I'm going to do a little walk, or I've been at my desk for an hour. I've had a bunch of meetings where I haven't really been moving. I'm going to get up and move from this desk. If you have an office, then you can do, you know, a couple of air squats, some lunges, moving around. Even I know we've all heard this advice, but 
park further away, go take a lap around the building, whatever it may be, interrupt your day with intentional movement so that we can make sure that we are improving that blood circulation, not getting um, too comfortable just sitting. It makes it so much easier to snack too when we do get a little too lazy and we just sit there for a long time. So getting up and moving is so key. I just want to thank all of my magical nutritional team for sharing these tips. Any closing thoughts for people as they are working towards their fat loss goals? We just threw a quite a bit of advice. Pick one, pick one area and how you're going to implement it and actually write it down. And I know it seems silly because it's like, oh no, I don't need to tell everyone in the whole world and I don't need to put it out there what I'm actually doing. But it does make a difference as, as far as accountability for yourself. Pick one, write it down, see it and actually implement it. Thank you all for joining me today. This has been fabulous. I can't wait to hear what tips people are implementing to see those better fat loss results. So I want to share five training mistakes I see people often making when they're trying to lose fat. Because so often we think of our workouts as a chance to burn more calories, which they are, right? They get us moving. We burn more calories throughout the day. That helps us be in that calorie deficit to see the weight loss we want. But simply thinking of them as calories in versus calories out holds us back because they're a very small portion of the calories we actually expend during the day. And then we're not getting the full benefit of what our training can do to raise our metabolic rate overall and be that beneficial thing to make us stronger, functionally more fit as we get older. So here are five mistakes I often see people making. Number one, turning strength workouts into cardio workouts. And I was guilty of this for a very long time of when I would be trying to lean down, I was in the calorie deficit, I was feeling maybe a little bit lower energy, which has to go back with some to mistakes I made with my macros in general, but I would start to lower the loads to feel out of breath, to feel that pump and burn a little bit more. So I would start to, instead of lifting heavy for lower reps, go to higher reps, make it feel more cardio. I would also cut out rest. And by doing this, Yes, you might see a higher calorie burn on your watch, whatever else, you might feel more tired, but you're not getting the full benefit of your workout, which is building the lean muscle, which keeps your metabolic rate higher to avoid metabolic adaptations, to actually allow you to eat more calories because you're utilizing more calories. So don't turn your strength workouts into cardio. Don't just seek to feel tired. Don't cut out rest. Don't just seek to feel that pump and burn and fatigue, okay? Actually seek to lift more each and every session. And don't be afraid to work down on those rep ranges as you lift heavier. You almost want to feel at points even like you could have given more because you're not necessarily so destroyed and sweaty and laying in a heap on the ground afterwards. You couldn't have given more in that you lifted as heavy as you could. You maxed out those reps. You went close to failure on reps with weight, but you want to have that feeling that not everything's just a cardio workout. Next thing, you want to be intentional with movements. So often we go through the motions with exercises. I'll see people doing the basic body weight glute bridge. And if you're listening, you can always watch the video on YouTube for demos of any of these things. But I'll see people just sort of going through the motions, being like, oh, this exercise isn't hard. Instead of being like, okay, how can I really focus on feeling my glutes and be intentional with the movement? Because that way I know I'm not only working the right muscles and getting the full benefit from them, but I'm getting that activation, which is a driver of muscle growth. We have to remember that it's not just about creating muscle tissue damage. It's about that mechanical tension. It's about that metabolic stress. 
And so that pump and burn does play into it. It's why we might do higher reps and more isolated movements at points to really create that metabolic stress, even movements that have a smaller range of motion, like some of the pumper-based glute exercises, especially if your glutes are a separate area, we might want to include those. But be intentional with exercises because this is also where you can push your workouts harder. When we're trying to lose fat, we want to keep that intensity up as much as possible, even while being in a calorie deficit. And if we're not intentional with movements, this is where we start to let ego get in the way with loads and then we start to compensate and then we get injured and then we can't train the way we'd like, which then puts us out. So then we can't lose fat as efficiently, right? There's this whole, whole snowball. But what you feel working during a movement is what is getting the benefit. So be very intentional, focusing on quality, not quantity. And I think we so often go to quantity because we think more volume will get better results. Uh, it'll make us feel more fatigued. But think quality reps. If that means you have eight to 12 reps that you want to hit, but you err on the side of going heavier and you only hit six, put the weights down, give yourself a little break, pick them back up, do two more quality reps because you do want to hit that failure point, but you want to be conscious of what you feel working to make every rep actually quality. And then when you're speeding up, even say you're doing a hit workout or whatever else, and you're adding in that faster paced movement, that jumping, you want to be able to recruit muscles correctly. So make sure that you're only speeding things up as you're able to control the movements, but be intentional. Even though you're trying to feel worked, even though you're trying to work hard, you want to be intentional with movements. Number three, do not seek to be sore from every single workout you do. Add in enough recovery. And I don't even mean just the way you design your workouts over the course of the week, but do not cut out that rest during the sessions. I know you can feel like you're going at 100% intensity in subsequent series when you're doing interval workouts, but if you're giving yourself little rest, that 100% is no longer your true 100% intensity. It's why when you're lifting in that one to five rep max uh, or that range and you're going for max weights, you might need three to five minutes. You might feel recovered at two minutes where you're like, okay, I'm not breathing hard, I can go again, but you're not actually recovered to be able to go back to it. So give yourself that rest time in between things and schedule it in ahead of time. Don't just go based on how you feel. I literally write out, I'm doing 90 seconds, two minutes, whatever else it is to hold myself to that so that as I get antsy where I might feel good that day, I still give myself that time so that I know even in further weeks, if I feel more fatigued, okay, I've been resting the same, so what else is going on, right? Or if weights went down or up, it's not because I rested longer or shorter. I knew what I rested, so I can really track that progress. But give yourself those rest periods so that you can fully recover to keep lifting as heavy as possible each and every round. Be intentional with movements. Have that focus on what you feel working. Not to mention, design your workouts over the course of the week so that you have a clear progression. Especially if you are working towards a pull-up goal, push-up goal, bench press goal, any sort of training goal. If you string your workouts together or do different things on different days, you can't track progresses accurately. Because if you do pull-ups on Monday one week and you're like, wow, I got five. And then you do on Friday the next week and you've done all this other back stuff beforehand, that might be why you only got two that, that week. So you want to have that clear progression to more easily track progress with lifts but also so that your body adapts and you're not constantly getting sore. When you do new things, random things, uh, different volumes, that's where you start to get sore and you're not recovering adequately to actually build muscle. So you want to make sure that you have that clear weekly progression to then be able to build off of and slowly increase weight and really track progress. It's helpful when we are trying to work towards our fat loss goals because it also allows us to train and track performance goals, which will keep us consistent with the habit. But allow for enough recovery. Don't always seek to be sore. Soreness might also be an indicator that you're not sleeping well enough or fueling well enough and you really need to adjust those things and you might be doing too much and hitting that point of diminishing returns to not see the muscle gains that you deserve from your workouts that truly help you lose fat. Number four, not having a clear progression or schedule, which ties back into that. And off of this, I want to add in 
tracking what you're doing. When you have that weekly progression mapped out, it's not only for recovery to allow areas to rest and repair, so you do upper one day, lower one day, or anterior, posterior to work muscles in different ways, but you want to have that progression so that, as I mentioned, you can track how are my pull-ups actually going. I did curtsy lunges for eight to 12 reps this week, uh, and I hit 12 with this weight every single time, so the next week I'm going up to this weight. Okay, I only maxed out at eight, so I'm gonna stick with that weight for the, the final week and try and get 10 reps now with that, right? You can track that progression and have a clear intentionality to your training, which will allow you to see progress, allow you to actually build muscle over just randomly stringing things together where you're like, I'm working really hard, but I don't know if anything's adding up. The final tip is using a variety of movements and rep ranges. We want to use those compound movements, so those bigger lifts like the squat, like the deadlift that are multi-joint movements that work the big muscle groups, especially when we're short on time. Those should be the focus of our workout every single time. But we want to add in some isolation movements as well, especially for stubborn areas, to really make sure that we're pushing them to failure at points to help those muscles grow. And this is so key when we are in a fat loss phase because I know we, again, go back to calories burned all the time and it's not about that. But if we aren't gaining muscle, we're not improving our metabolic health. And especially when we're in a deficit and so at risk for losing muscle, we want to do everything we can to promote the, that muscle growth, especially as we get older, okay? And using a variety of rep ranges is key because each movement might dictate a slightly different rep range. If you're going more isolated, you're not going to be able to do a one rep max, and you probably shouldn't do a one rep max with your bicep curl necessarily. But by going higher reps, you can really make sure that you're creating the, the drive to grow that muscle. If you're doing heavy compound lifts, you might work down in reps at the beginning of your workout when you're freshest. And so you might say, I'm doing one heavy lift for about five reps at the beginning of my workout, then I'm gonna work more in the eight to 12 or muscle hypertrophy rep range for the bulk of my workout. And then I'm gonna have a little burner with isolation moves at the end. But using a variety of rep ranges is really key as well as using a diversity of movements to help drive that muscle growth. And when we think about a diversity of movements, it's not just one movement is best. Okay, even when we think about the deadlift, Maybe you use a couple different deadlifts over the week. You use your sumo heavy barbell, but you also use kettlebell single leg deadlift. You want to think about different postures and positions because the same but different can be progression and movement. It's not just about adding loads. And I, I, I think it's so interesting because I shared this one hybrid arm movement to Facebook and it always gets a ton of hate because people are like, well, you can't go as heavy for all these different muscle groups. And the simple fact is, is that it's a different type of movement using different like techniques to drive growth and sometimes through the same but different. So literally changing how you're doing, you know, your glute bridge from on the ground to doing more of like a hip thruster off the bench, right? This range of motion right here, while basically a similar movement, or even if you want to turn it around, changing the range of motion on the glute bridge, putting your heels up, this is going to create progression through the same but different. Different postures for how you even do your seated abductions, whether you're laying on the ground or seated, are going to change how the muscle is being activated in the exact fibers. So don't be afraid to do really small changes to create that progression. So just to summarize those five tips, do not turn your strength workouts into cardio, okay? Give yourself rest, focus on adding heavier loads. Be intentional with the movements. Don't seek to be sore, allow for adequate recovery. Create that clear progression and use a diversity of rep ranges and a variety of movements. I also am going to link to one of my YouTube videos that goes over one of my favorite workout designs, which is the compound burners. It uses the post-exhaust training technique. So check that out as well if you really are looking to grow that lean muscle and lose fat efficiently with your training. So my mistake that held me back from maintaining a leaner physique for a very long time kept me in that yo-yo dieting cycle where I'd do the cut, I'd lose the weight, I'd feel super lean and good, and then I would just rebound and I wondered, why the heck could I not maintain my results long term? What was wrong with me? 
And Ryan has heard me utter this phrase probably far too many times, but how I like to say I made the change to maintain my results long-term was I started to steer into the skin. What that means is I started to embrace the times where I had to just go with things a lot more instead of fighting against them. I think so often we do create this ideal in our head. We have these, this pressure to eat clean. We create these standards that we have to maintain. And if we don't maintain them, we're somehow a failure. And in maintaining them, we put so much pressure on ourselves that ultimately we can't sustain it, which sabotages us and we fall off. So if we instead sometimes went with the way momentum was bringing us in life and we steered into the skid, we could do a little bit less and be more consistent overall. Because I think it's something where when we put this pressure to be 100%, when we really can only give 50%, we end up giving 0%. When if we allowed ourselves to give the 50% that we have had to give, we would end up being more consistent long-term. So as you're trying to make changes and sustain your results, sometimes realize when you're getting overwhelmed and proactively decide to do the minimum, decide to modify, decide to give yourself that deload week instead of being reactive. Because often when we proactively back off, not only do we get remotivated more quickly, but we end up doing a lot more than we would have had we tried to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing until we just couldn't at all do anything more, right? We end up sabotaging ourselves so much because we feel so deprived, we feel so overworked, we just feel so maxed out that there's nothing left. And in trying to think about describing this, what I really came up with was it's like you have a car and the gas light comes on. You could keep driving until you're on complete empty, but then you're gonna have to call a tow truck or walk and get gas, and you're gonna end up slowing down your, your journey by a lot. Instead, when that light comes on, if you pull into the next gas station and fill up that tank, you don't have that big break in your trip, right? You can move forward a lot faster. And I think we have to approach motivation, our ability to keep working at a certain intensity as that same thing, right? When that gas light comes on, when you're feeling yourself become unmotivated, when life is starting to get really stressful or busy, when the holidays are coming around and you know you're gonna wanna indulge a little bit more, sometimes take that, you know, stop, pull into that gas tank, even though you have more miles you could go and you can maybe make it to the next one, just pull in, deload and that way you can move forward way faster and you don't have to worry about ending up on empty versus instead of you push it you could end up by the side of the road right we can end up sabotaging ourselves and not able to move forward so if you're struggling to maintain your results and you feel like you're always working really hard and then at some point you just run out of willpower self-control realize that you're doing too much and you need to embrace steering into the skid whether or not it is around the holidays saying hey i'm just going to track because i know i'm going to want to enjoy more holiday cookies but i'm still making a one percent improvement over last year maybe it's a stressful period at work where you're like i'm going to go to 15 minute workouts or maybe it's even saying hey this is the perfect time right now and i'm super motivated so i am going to do a little bit more even knowing i might have to back off at another time right you wanna go with the momentum that you have right then and even recognize when you're running out of momentum to proactively plan to allow yourself to decompress so that you can get that motivation back more quickly and stay more consistent overall. So much is really about those 1% improvements and steering into the skid at points allows us to do that. So if you want my biggest mistake, it's not embracing the fact that at points I won't be as motivated, that I won't be able to be consistent in the same way that's my ideal at other points and really embracing steering into the skid helped me to see a much leaner physique, see better results consistently and have those results continue to snowball because I was able to be consistent not only over the months, or the year, but over the years as well. So hope this really helped you guys think more long-term in terms of how you're dialing in your habits and making changes. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of the Fitness Hacks Podcast. 
I'd love to hear your biggest takeaway from the episode and the mistake that you found yourself making and how you're going to make a change this week. 